Well, welcome back, Michael and Kenzie, for part two of our three-part series on the 1961 single convention on narcotic drugs and the international scheduling of cannabis. Thank you so much for being with us again today. Thank you. Great to be here. And that maybe that brings me to this um, this assessment of cannabis made by the World Health Organization (WHO). They took it, they never made it. Uh, I mean, in, in in 60 years of existence, they have never assessed cannabis. They have never really looked into it, the scientific evidence, the data, and they made it finally. It took them three years between 2016 and 2019, and they assessed cannabis, cannabis resin extract and tincture of cannabis, um, CBD, uh, and THC. But again, they assess the medicines. Uh, what they assess, because it's both their mandate and both the framework in which they develop their, their, their actual uh, work, which is the schedules, which are lists of drugs, lists of medicine. They are here to assess the medicine that are listed in these schedules and say if they have therapeutic potential or not, and if they are harmful or not. They are not here to assess a car painting or a, a, you know, elements for processing in, in photographic development of photographs or food products. It's just not their mandate. WHO has other um, you know, groups that work on food safety and stuff. This is a committee on drug dependence. So it's dependence to pharmacological products using medicine. Their mandate is to assess drugs. So really, it's limited to that. And sorry, and just so the listeners know, we use a lot of acronyms. Michael is the king of acronyms here. So World Health Organization, when you hear us say WHO, that's the World Health Organization. And this Expert Committee on Drug Dependence is the is the actual name of that committee that, that Kenzie was just talking about. And that's the ECDD or the committee. Um, but WHO, World yep. Health Organization. Thank you so yep. much, Kenzie. Well, I try to say WHO because people get crazy when I when I say who. <laughs> but it's it's, uh, it's the same thing again with WHO with who. In the end, when they assessed when they made the assessment of CBD, they say um, the CBD products with less than 0.2 percent THC are not under control of the convention, and if they are above 0.2 percent THC they fall under control of the convention. And we have to understand this is, again, really for medicines. So they are just talking about CBD medicine. For instance, Epidiolex, this is a CBD medicine. If it has zero, less than 0.2% THC, it's not controlled by the convention, but it's still a medicine. If it has more than 0.2% THC, it's a medicine, but controlled under the convention. So you need to report to the INCB, as Michael was saying, and a series of stuff that the convention um, imposes. But it's just for medicine. So everybody's saying, oh my God, uh, WHO is saying, uh, is establishing a limit for, for, you know, to separate hemp from marijuana or this kind of stuff. It's just not what they are doing. What they are saying is just not applying to hemp. It's just not applying to food. It's not applying to anything that is not medical. So it's just applying to CBD, to medical CBD. CBD as a drug, as a medicine. It's not applying to vape, 
pens to um, cosmetics to whatever thing we are thinking about and apparently nobody understood that uh, people say oh my god it's terrible the WHO is trying to impose 0.2 as a standard but we have 0.3 and the swiss people are saying but we have one percent how can they impose 0.2 oh no no they are not saying that it's just another topic we are just talking about medicine here so it's really restricted to medical uses therapeutic context the pharmaceutical phytopharmaceutical sector period, not uh, hemp sector. And we should really, in a way, uh, thank them for doing that, for saying we can just consider policies for cannabis as a medicine per se. They need to be considered by themselves. We need to assess cannabis as a medicine and not necessarily always assess everything uh, in every discussion on cannabis. We don't need to bring hemp and to bring uh, um, you know, adult use and other stuff into medical use. We need to just talk about medical use because it's worth just talking about that. Please let us talk about medicines. So that's what the WHO is saying. And, and I just want to make sure, too, that the listeners know that in that June 2018 critical review, it goes through a preliminary review the, when, when the WHO and the ECDD, Expert Committee on Drug Dependence, is looking at various substances. It goes through first a preliminary review, and then that preliminary review decides if, if it's going to go on to a critical review. So in the end, in June 2018, when the WHO ECDD released that, uh, that critical review of the many findings a- around cannabidiol, they said these three main things. CBD is generally well tolerated with a good safety profile. In humans, CBD exhibits no effects indicative of any abuse or dependency potential, and that to date there is no evidence of recreational use of CBD or any public health-related problems associated with the use of pure CBD. Just wanted to make sure the, the listeners got that in there. And, and back to you, gentlemen. Yeah, I, I, I want to thank you for that, uh, Joy. I want to insert sort of um, a marker, a side note, on the treaty's um, legal obligations to nations that do sign it and, and become part of it. As I said, there's no enforcement built into the treaty. There's no blue hat UN police that are going to come enforce it or anything like that. In fact, as uh, Kenzie was pointing out or alluding to at least, the uh, United States has been the enforcer traditionally of the treaties. Going around and forcing countries to comply uh, has been our role outside of the treaty's uh, general bounds. So, but the one thing that I think is really, really important to understand is that, as Kenzie said, this is about medical use, but it put a real fine point on that. The treaty is a legal mandate recognizing that drugs are indispensable for the relief of human suffering and that they must be uh, uh, made available. These treaties sign this, and I was really tuned in as by Human Rights Watch, that this is actually kind of a legal obligation, especially for us in the United States, where we've uh, signed into this treaty, we've ratified it, and according to our Constitution, that puts it at a very high level in our U.S. federal law, meaning that our U.S. federal government has to provide medicine. And any any efforts of the DEA to, to restrict our access to medicine, like not allowing us to have cannabis as a medicine for 50 years, for example, uh, is a violation of not just the the spirit of the treaty, but it might actually give us some legal standing in sort of a world court or at least a world public uh, court of public opinion, and certainly standing in U.S. federal court that the you know you cannot restrict our access to medicines and use the treaty as a as a uh, uh, you know as a, a, a thing for that. It's just the treaty does not do that. It doesn't require that. It, it, it treats cannabis right now like an unknown, and the W. 
WHO is listed, literally listed as the source of knowing medicines inside the system. And now we know it. Now the WHO says we know it. And, you know, the significance of this is that the World Health Organization has made this statement. It, it's held a, a completely contrary position saying that cannabis was not a medicine. And based on that and based on their expertise and this, what I just said about their role inside the system, you could righteously have used the WHO and the treaty to say, oh, well, we don't know much about cannabis. Let's treat it only as a research drug. Let's make it very, very little, you know, available for now. You know, like the, like the, uh, what was it? The, uh, Institute of Medicine came out in 1999, you know, in the middle of the drug war, they said, yeah, we still need to let people have access to this. Let's restrict it down to those who are most in, in desperate need of it for now while we work this out. So even they recognized it. So that's, that's where we've been. But now, the World Health Organization has recognized that cannabis is a medicine, as they've done for CBD. CBD is an exception, exceptionally safe product, and and as you read, uh, it, it it does deserve deservedly uh, so uh, uh, get that uh, attribution. Cannabis is also very safe, and what they've done to to make these kind of five uh, recommendations simpler. Uh, and first of all, for those who want the complicated version. I definitely recommend you go over to the internet, go over to the Crimson Digest, and it's just fantastic uh, uh, work that, that Kenzie has uh, mostly been instrumental of. I've helped and others have, have put uh, efforts into it. Uh, and the Crimson Digest, Volume 1, on the, on the uh, cannabis uh, review process and on the stakeholders and the history is just fantastic resource. You'll, uh, by reading that and looking through, you'll understand all this stuff. But very simply put, like for CBD, for example, CBD would be out of control at all if it's uh, less than 0.2% THC. If it's got more than 0.2% THC, it would get thrown in with over-the-counter cannabis. The, the World Health Organization is recommending we have over-the-counter cannabis. It would be Schedule 3 in the treaty. And that would be up to each country, really, on how to do that. Like Uruguay, I could easily foresee, or Canada, I could foresee having literally over-the-counter whole cannabis products that they seem to feel are packaged well or in some way are, are preventative of abuse. That's the only requirement that the WHO made uh, is that there would be an effort to uh, make these products less abusable. If they're a little bit more abusable, then the, what the WHO has recommended is just rate regular schedule placement for drugs. So it, it, it would no longer be treated like heroin. It would be treated like any other drug. You could just get a prescription. And it, you're not going to require you know, a fancy uh, triplicate prescription, just a freaking prescription. And I think that is, you know, kind of a cool way to do it for now. Um, I think that, you know, there's really, it's really important. We're going to have this vote coming up in the United Nations on these recommendations in December, looks like. It's been delayed. It's been pushed back, pushed around, contorted in many ways. Again, the history is fantastic. And I refer you to the Crimson Digest to read it. But uh, we are here now, and it looks like we've, we, we very well might have a vote. There's also a chance. There's been a lot of pushback and a lot of discussion about that CBD note. There is a chance that they'll push that back and send it back to the WHO and say, come back later with it, work on it some more. The United Nations has that opportunity to do that. But may, the I, may I ask you for the listeners, if because I'm not so sure, we, we spoke about it, absolutely, but I'd love to just be, be able to tell the listeners what those five recommendations are in a row so that they get them. Would that be okay? Sure. I can I can try. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, we have a series of recommendations. The first one is taking cannabis out of Schedule 4. So the schedules, the numbering of schedules is different in the US. Schedule 4 is the highest schedule, but it doesn't really imply any particular policy. It's just really symbolic. We call it sometimes the prohibition schedule. It's just a symbolic schedule that says this drug is really evil and it should just not be used. So WHO said, definitely you got to take cannabis out of this schedule. It's just symbolical, but it's necessary and that's the most important probably the most important of the recommendation then they say uh because it's complex we've been talking about the 1961 convention but uh, there is another one that you've been mentioning the 71 convention or michael mentioned it and thc as a molecule as a pure molecule is also listed in the schedules of the 1971 convention. So it's both listed as part of cannabis resin in the 61 convention and also in the 71 convention. WHO says, let's get it all together. And, and I just want to make sure the listeners know that was called, just as the 1961 con- single convention on narcotic drugs, this is the 1971 convention on psychotropic substances. Just wanted to get the and, listeners to know that one. And, and a side note there is that they didn't know what THC was uh, back in 1961. It was discovered in 1965. Yeah. So that kind of explains why it got sucked into the next treaty. Another side note is that they did know what CBD was, both in 1961 and in 1971, and they didn't consider they didn't consider it relevant for scheduling in 1961, obviously because it was not getting you high, so no interest. And in 1971, they considered maybe it could be a precursor, so it could be used to be transformed into THC. So they considered maybe scheduling it as, as a precursor substance, but there was no schedule for that. So they just abandoned the idea and it stayed like that until 2018 when they reassess TBD medicines and they get the, the outcome you, you just explained before. So yeah, so for the moment, THC is simultaneously a psychotropic substance and there is a 71 convention and part of the narcotic drug under the 61 convention as part of cannabis, as part of cannabis resin or as part of cannabis extract. So it's really complex. It's virtually THC is scheduled in, in uh, actually five different schedules because it's uh, part of these different narcotic drugs, but it's also in the 71 convention divided. So Delta 9 THC is in schedule two and the other Delta, Delta 6, Delta 8 are in schedule one. So it's really complicated and crazy. And WHO said, look, it's just it's just crazy. Let's put everything in Schedule 1 on the 61 convention. It's the basic schedule. It's where we have the other, um, the other sort of similar drugs, plant-based drugs, which are the coca leaf and the poppy plant, uh, the, the actual poppy plant and poppy resin, which is opium. It's all in Schedule 1, and also there are active compound, morphine, cocaine, are in Schedule 1. So let's put everything in Schedule 1. It sort of makes sense, even if it doesn't make sense from the point of view of actual harmfulness in terms of medicine. WHO says it. It should be scheduled lower than Schedule 1 because it's not as dangerous as the drugs in Schedule 1. But we understand it's also a geopolitical process. We have China and Russia pressuring if we propose to just take cannabis out of the schedule is probably just going to be rejected. And we are here to help 
patient have easier access. So let's try to get up with something that is consensual and that can be adopted, that nobody can really oppose it, saying WHO, you've gone crazy, you potheads, but that is still enough to provide more access. And that's what they recommend. Let's put everything in schedule one. So let's bring back THC from the 71 convention to schedule one. And that takes a series of recommendations because as it's placed in several schedules, it's a lot of votes to in the end bring everything back in the 60, in the 61 convention, schedule one. So and, we and would have... If yeah. you know, before you go into the rest of the recommendations there, Kenzie, I just wanted to put a fine point on something that as the United States and other countries, Canada, for example, I know the way they've handled cannabis, even to this day, uh, the Sativex product, for example, I believe is still handled as a research drug uh, in the pharmacies up there in Canada. Uh, in the United States, cannabis is schedule one only for research purposes, and you got to jump through 80 hurdles, you know, as everyone knows. Um, but the thing is, as they were able to use that legally, the treaty and the World Health Organization's naysaying about cannabis against us, we can use this positive World Health Organization against them. And what this does is it creates a legal obligation for medicinal access to the to, to cannabis substances uh, that are medicinal, that are going through the treaty, creates a, the, the absolute legal obligation for the United States to, pro to provide access to those. And this is important, regardless of whether the United Nations passes it or not. In the spirit of the treaty, the World Health Organization is the expert body. They've changed their mind. They've made a new recommendation. You have to go by that. Uh, and I just, you know, go back to the United Nations. If they don't want to follow these rules, that's up to them. They they can, you know, shun this whole thing, vote the whole thing down. Status quo, business is normal, and you will see a huge crack break in the side of the treaty. The treaty will be so completely vulnerable, and 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 you know, we win, we win, we win either way. I personally would much rather win by working with the system and evolving and growing, making the system be fit to purpose and make reasonable uh, uh, you know, access to all medicines just a human right as it is written in, in the human rights books to be and, and, and you know, kind of move on. But I uh, just want people to understand that even independent of what the United Nations does, this World Health Organization uh, you know, recommendations are landmark and absolutely revolutionary. And uh, should the United Nations pass them, I'll go back to you, Kenzie, there was a couple more recommendations, weren't there? Or is, I think they said it, the, the moving from Schedule 4. So you have, for the U.S. listeners, uh, you have a descheduling. You're removing it from Schedule 4. And the reason why I say that's a descheduling is because it's the Schedule 1 slash 4 that is like heroin. If you take it the one slash nothing, then it's like everything else. If it's one slash four, then it's like crystal meth. You know, that's that's the way it works. So uh, the one slash four, you get rid of the slash four, you deschedule it from four, and that's a profound thing. And I, ironically, as much back and forth and, and there's been about the, uh, the CBD note, there's been very, very little pushback at all about the Schedule 4 movement. Let me get to the CBD note because, but indeed, what what you say is is interesting. The fact that even though the recommendations are rejected by a vote uh, with the pressure of, uh, you know, Russia and China and a couple of uh, really uh, old school countries, let's say, even even with that, we have the actual outcome of the expert committee on drug dependency CDD. It's a report, the blue report. It's there and it's already recognizing. Um, again, it's only talking about medicine, but when they talk about cannabis and cannabis resin, so 
phytomedicine, um, herbal medicine, world plant, um, you know, cannabis buds and, and cannabis resin. Um, they talk about it and they say... Botanical, so to speak. Botanical, as you say, in the US, exactly. Um, they say, well, you know, we can't really put it out of the schedule and everything. We are sort of constrained, but we we will assess it from the point of view of a medicine and say its level of actual harm and potential for dependence and risks and benefits in medicine. And they do it and they say, well, it has harms and they list the harms, which are um, uh, dizziness, dry mouth, eventually um, issues with uh, driving of motor vehicles needs more, uh, you know, more insight. They list a couple of harms like that, and you say, well, yeah, that's uh, important to, to 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 reduce this harm, you know, and to to address them and to be aware of them. But if you look at all the other substances they've been assessing, you see the harms always include death and a list of horrible, you know, uh, health outcomes that is just terrible. In, you know, when you say, okay, these are actually harmful or, or potentially harmful medicine, even though they might have uh, use in medicine, they have a level of risk that is really important. You compare that to their assessment of cannabis and you say, well, yeah, there are some risks, um, dizziness and, you know, dry mouth, but just, you know, get the substance out of it. And this is an assessment of the, an international independent committee of experts. The ECDD is, um, you know, uh, you know, called by the WHO and so on, but it's, they are independent. They are, the WHO are not instrumental. The people working at WHO are not making any decision in this ECD. It's an independent set of scientists uh, with gender balance and geographical balance. They come from all countries of the world. Um, they have different opinions. Um, they are often really high level experts and they come up with this really neutral assessment and this is going to stay uh, for 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 a long time regardless of any political uh, you know developments so i think that's really something to to consider and just to to finish with the recommendation they they made these um three other recommendations that are uh, one is really technical there is, there is this um, uh, entry in the schedule it's called extracts and tincture of cannabis and they just uh, propose to change it for preparations of cannabis because it's just the way it works for other drugs other medicine you have the drug and then preparation of the drug you have like opium and preparations of opium coca leaf and preparations of coca leaf morphine and preparation of morphine so just just put something normal, let's make some normalization for, for cannabis and use the same language. So that's maybe really technical, but it sort of makes sense because cannabis was in this status of really exceptional, exceptionality, exceptional scheduling, being in schedule four, having, you know, so many entries, having THC split in different schedules, you know, really complex policy regime for nothing. So they really make a, a huge effort of simplifying, simplification. Let's put everything in Schedule 1. And then the fourth recommendation says, up to every government, you can cherry pick in Schedule 1 the kind of cannabis medicine that you want, and you put them in Schedule 3. So Schedule 3, what uh, Michael was saying before, is uh, over-the-counter and a much lighter you know, set of control, and the, basically the access that is already in place in most 
you know jurisdiction in the world where we have uh, you know medical uh, medical access of cannabis you know be it in the US states or in Netherlands or in Israel it's the kind of access that is already existing it's corresponds to schedule 3 of the the 1961 convention which is the lower the lowest uh, of the schedules um, and so they say you can put cannabis medicine or THC medicines in this schedule three, and we leave it. We leave it up to every government. It just has to be, uh, you know, not dangerous for public health, basically. So that's a great thing because it allows Russia and China to do nothing and stay with almost virtually no access by placing no drug, no cannabis drug in schedule three. But it allows uh, the Netherlands to place to place um, botanical cannabis, so like the bedrocan they are selling in pharmacies. To say, well, we consider botanical, um, you know, cannabis buds as schedule free, and then we just continue with what we have already, and that's probably going to help other countries that are currently exploring, experimenting medical cannabis, such as France, to to take the, the step uh, ahead and and do like their neighbors. So that's really interesting recommendation. The fourth one, uh, the placement in schedule free, up to the choice of every government. And then it will be up to every um, cannabis patient group in every country to pressure their government so as <laughs> they consider the medicine that are useful for them in, in Schedule 3. Uh, so that, that's a, another work. Of course, the WHO is not solving all the problems like that. <laughs> we need also to, to take it uh, as a tool and follow up with, with, with the work on our, on our local level. And finally, the last one, the most uh, crazy one, is the recommendation on CBD. And I, I I've already mentioned it. Um, it's really simple. It just says uh, the CBD medicine, CBD-rich medicine that have less than 0.2% THC, um, you just can control them as medicines, not under international control. That's it. Mm, the, C the CBD preparation that have more than 0.2% THC, then again, like any other, any other cannabis medicine, either you control it as the schedule one, like any other drug, or you place it in schedule three and you can provide an access over the counter. So it just, in the end, instead of a two-tiered uh, classification for cannabis medicine, it's just for CBD medicine, a three-tiered classification. But just for medicine, again, it's not concerning, uh, you know, industrial products, vape pens, whatever thing is not a medical product. It's just not falling under this recommendation. So, um, and, and yeah, I want to put a fine point on the CBD note because the World Health Organization was answering a problem. They were answering an issue, and the issue is this: if you produce a CBD extract from medical marijuana. You've got a marijuana extract, a.k.a. a Schedule 1 slash 4 drug, blah, blah, blah. If you get CBD from industrial plant, which is exempt from the treaty, then it's CBD exempt from the treaty. But they're the same bloody thing. And on top of that, they know they don't live in a bubble. They know that there's CBD out there in the marketplace. And that they darn sure knew about Epidiolex and the whole history of all that going on. So they did what was responsible. In this case, 
because the powers that be, Harry Anslinger and his group back in 1961, didn't know what they were doing, put cannabis into control in a way that didn't anticipate the future and didn't anticipate that the cannabinoids in cannabis were important because they didn't think cannabis was important. And they put us in this bind where now we've got this conundrum. The U.S. has complained. I think it's a pretty valid complaint. This is kind of a rabbit hole. The, the World Health Organization has already said that the reason why they didn't do other notes for other cannabinoids is because they, they weren't on their desk. They didn't have the research in hand. They weren't able to do a review. But they definitely didn't imply it. They definitely said that they would review those in the future and assess them individually. Therefore, you may wind up at some point with 67 different notes on different cannabinoids that are all like CBD valuable and like CBD not of any nuisance or any you know real problem to uh, uh, drug dependence or abuse. That's, you know, that's Harry Inslinger's legacy. What can I say? The note is fixing a problem. And I think the WHO kind of acted responsibly there and did the best that they could. And if you look at it in the context of medical and you see it as just a line in the sand between two different, you know, one place where you get it at the gas station versus one place where you get it over the counter at the pharmacy versus the next where you have to have the prescription. It actually makes sense. And that's what doctors try to do. They try to make sense. So anyway, go back, back to you, Kenzie. Excellent. Excellent. So great. Thank you. It's very complex and, and, and being able to describe it that way, I know, is, is so helpful. Just related to what Michael just said, uh, indeed, the, the, we have a legacy in this treaty that we have to deal with and the WHO had to deal with it. Um, cannabis and cannabis resin, blah, 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 they are placed in the schedule of the 1961 convention, but they are also placed in the very text of the convention. Article 2, Article 28, they mention cannabis directly. They just put the word cannabis. So even if the WHO said, let's put everything cannabis THC out of the schedule and, and totally uh, unschedule it, uh, it would still be under control of the convention because it is present somewhere in the treaty. And the treaty actually is shaped around these three plants we've been talking about, uh, coca plant, Poppy, uh, opium poppy plant and the cannabis plant. The treaty is, has three legs and it works on three legs, which are, which are these three plants. You can't just uh, cut one of the legs of the treaty like that. It, it would lost. You need to rewrite comprehensively the treaty if you are to take cannabis out of it. And that's really not going to happen in the next uh, 50 years, apparently. So, yeah, just an element of context. We are in this treaty that has 50 years and that's probably going to be here for another 50 years and we have to if we want to help uh, you know hemp farmers uh, continue to grow hemp we have to reaffirm that hemp is exempt by purpose from the treaty and if we want to ensure uh, patients have access and doctors can make pres prescription and, and advise and make uh, you know uh, pharmacovigilance we need to uh, deal with this treaty that is going to stay and do the best we can and that's in a way what who these experts of uh, who has been have been doing but the only the only thing the things that pop up in my head that you might want to close you know in closing talk about would okay. be maybe some of the other players that are involved at this level fields of green for all has been really carrying the ball uh, at the UN and Americans for safe access has helped us a lot in 
uh, in Geneva, uh, the whole list of players, uh, you know, just really thanks to everybody and, and that this has been a big coalition effort to work through the World Health Organization. It's not been something that the World Health Organization has felt our presence every step of the way. So I just want to, you know, leave you with that. And then uh, the other thing would be to uh, you know, briefly give people kind of the rundown of what I think would happen should, let's say, in a perfect world, all the recommendations the World Health Organization has uh, set, put forward get passed. And uh, what I believe would happen inside the United States would be it would trigger a top-down review where we've been working from the bottom up and trying to prove cannabis is a medicine. Well, it's written into our Controlled Substances Act about this treaty obligation. So should the treaty obligation change, that's going to not go from the bottom up. It's going to go from the top down. I figure what will probably happen is it gets handed off to the uh, uh, National Institutes of Health to look at it after the attorney general determines what the change means, what, what the actual change requires. I would bet, given everything the attorney general has had done, all the stuff that's happened in the last year or two, my guess is the attorney general is going to say the treaty requires we schedule cannabis, that it has to be scheduled. So, And, and the fact that Marinol, the active ingredient in cannabis, is Schedule 3, I would say that the movement should absolutely require schedule three at a minimum and and i would call that a correction not even a reform to put in parity with marinol and then i would say the attorney general is probably going to require like schedule three four or five so i I would say schedule five would certainly be realistic for whole plant cannabis as a national uh, policy as a result of this world health organization uh you know full impact I, I, I would hope for that. And I think that's that's what should happen. And I also want to make sure the listener and you did a wonderful job, gentlemen, making it clear, although when you when you're new to it, as you well know, heads are swimming. Right. So at the at the United Nations level, schedule one is the least restricted. Yeah. Schedule five is the most restricted. Yeah, exact opposite. Yeah. But in the United States, under the Controlled Substances Act, Schedule 1 is the most restricted and Schedule 5 is the least restricted. So just want to underscore oh. that. You, you, you can't tell me that's not Harry Anslinger doing that on purpose back in the 1960s and 70s. He was in the position to be able to screw us up like that. That complexity of that has really held back our movement. And just one last little comment before I hand it off to Kenzie. You know, really heartfelt thanks to everybody out there that's really helped us in Vienna and Geneva. Dozens of organizations, the entire hemp movement, the, the top echelon of the entire cannabis movement worldwide. And I, I really feel like, um, you know, when we're in there working, again, it's not this big, you know, global UN thing. It's more like real people representing each country, trying to get through the day, trying to figure out how, you know, to navigate this thing, which is all our legacy. It's handed down to all of us. So I, I, I really think that we can all work together on it, but our movement needs to step up and come to these meetings, not just us anymore. We need the movement needs to show up in mass. It's time to change the world world policy. Aho, amen to that brother. And then some singing it from the rooftops. (laughs) How can you uh, wrap up this? We can't wait to have you gentlemen back on for even a third time, but how could we wrap this part up? Well, I'd say uh, maybe just with the agenda in the next month uh, regarding this WHO recommendations, because it's the first change in the treaties since 1961, basically, so it's kind of important. Uh, so the, all the member states, almost uh, 190 countries, are having meetings, private, almost secret meetings, uh, on uh, Zoom or some kind of Zoom um, during the summer to discuss these recommendations. And they will meet in December in Vienna, 
there is United Nations headquarters in, in Vienna, um, Vienna in Austria, uh, in the middle of Europe. Uh, and they will decide, finally vote on the recommendation. So they were expected to do it in March, and in March they were already um, expecting to do it after a delay. So they might again delay the recommendation in December, or at least part of the recommendation, because it's a big piece for them. But probably they will vote on part of them. And so in December we will see um, big news, uh, historical news of the probably a change in the scheduling of cannabis at the international level, in the scheduling of medical cannabis again so a huge uh, step forward for for medical cannabis and we have to continue uh, defending the fact that industrial uses of cannabis are not controlled by the convention the convention is just a convention on medicines and it we should be able to reappropriate almost that convention and to say in the end if it's here to ensure access well we are here for that also. So let's work together and ensure access, really. And and what we're saying here is when we say a vote, like any vote, whether it's the United Nations level, your town council, the state legislature, or the US Congress, it's education, it's lobbying to get those votes, to influence and persuade those votes. And in our case, towards common sense, science-based, data-driven, policy uh, that liberates a plant and makes it accessible to humans. You too, and, and all of those groups that you mentioned, I want to give a real shout out to Fields of Green, um, and of course to ASA, the Americans for Safe Access, who I know you work with so closely up there. There were some real champions and we all need to get more involved, um, but you are absolutely my heroes, gentlemen. I cannot wait to have you on for a third time so that we can talk about the global sustainability aspects of liberation this plant in all of its forms. That is a, is a whole nother aspect to this that, that we have not addressed. And again, gentlemen, I cannot thank you enough for your work, my comrades, my brothers in the liberation of the world's most valuable, versatile plant. Thank you, Kenzie. Thank you for being with us, Michael. A pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.